everybody. Welcome to Verses from the Void, your twice-monthly foray into the world of horror poetry. On today's show, we have Therese Maison-Pierre. Uh, Therese Maison-Pierre is a writer and editor whose work has appeared in The Walrus, Room, Quill and Choir, and Fantasy Magazine, among others. Her work has been nominated for the BP Nickel Chapbook Award, Best of the Net, and twice for the Ignite Award. She's the co-editor-in-chief of Augur Magazine, Canadian Speculative Literature Journal. Therese has also co-hosted poetry reading series, organized literary events, and facilitated creative writing workshops. She's the author of the chapbooks Surface Area and Manifest. Therese lives and works in Toronto, Canada. In Bigba, we like to say Jalasi, which means welcome, come in and sit down. So Jalasi listeners and Jalasi Therese, how are you? I'm well, I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. This is really cool. No problem. This is really exciting. So um, I love Augur Magazine and all your poetry and fiction. Um, which I know you know, because listeners, we've had the pleasure of working together a few times. Um, so just for our listeners, how did you come to this life of speculative poetry? Yeah, so I I joined Augur um, in like early, like, like January, early 2018. So I got to work with them from the beginning. Um, and I was just, you know, editing, you know, working with poets as I as I normally do. And then I it it dawned on me, I'm like, hey, I'm working with like with speculative poetry. I'm working with um, these specific kinds of poems with these specific, you know, f- uh, forms and themes and um, and worlds. So I should probably, like, you know, do my research a little bit. I should probably get more involved and sort of see what's kind of happening in this space. So that's what I did. I made it sort of like an active um, practice and active exploration, um, not only in my reading, uh, but also in my writing. Uh, and I found that I was, um, I found it much more fun for me to conceptualize the speculative through poetry, not only because I didn't have to sort of flesh out, you know, an entire universe like I would in fiction, uh, I could just sort of do this in a page and I can experiment with world building and poetry. But also I found that like poetry as a form, like just as a form um, was much more amenable to the speculative um, because um, like poetry itself I find is is speculative, like what it even is a poem, people will fight about that. So I found that quite fun. And, and I've just been sort of like reading more and getting more into speculative poetry. I've like met with some of like some really cool people who are really, who are into writing speculative poetry and who have sort of um, become more, uh, I guess, not like champions, I would say, but like more vocal in, in the speculative poetry scene. And it's been really great to see, um, to interact with those people and to like connect. And I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, we're so, so much richer for the work that you do with it. And like, I know that it's been around for quite some time, speculative poetry, but it seems like it's really increasingly gaining momentum. Um, and I think that's in part due to magazines like Augur. Um, what do you find different about writing um, stuff that's kind of on the more horror spectrum versus other forms of speculative poetry? I like that there's... Like, I feel like horror is one of those things, like, you know, the same the same goes for, you know, um, comedy and erotica. Like, it's one of those things that's very personal or can be very personal um, when it, like, sort of when it comes to the writer or um, the sort of experiences that they've had. So I like that horror can get, I like that that horror has that level of um, intimacy people like people different people will find different things horrifying um and i'm i'm someone who tries not to uh write a lot of personal stuff um i'm not like i use a lot of personas um in my poetry um like the i in my poetry is almost never me therese the 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 writer so i get to hide a little bit um and experiment more and fictionalize and i find that horror is a great way to sort of step in to a space where I might want to be a bit more personal. Um, I'm also someone who finds horror very scary. <laughs> so like I, 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 which I guess is a point, but so I will, you know, so horror movies and, you know, TV shows kind of frighten me, but like horror poetry is, is great. Like I, 
I think it's, I like reading it. Uh, I like encountering it in uh, in the slush uh, for this, in the submissions pile for Augur. Um, and the, the times that I have written something that might be, or poetry specifically, that may be horror or horror adjacent, um, I found that I've had uh, a lot of fun and a lot of comfort. Yeah, I totally relate to that because like, yeah, the I in my poetry is rarely me. Um, <laughs> and I find poetry is so helpful for kind of like just burying your own anxieties in it and like providing a bit of a remove and stepping into personas. Um, yeah, and, you know, of course, horror is such a great vehicle for exploring um, uncertainty and anxieties and all those uh, hidden things. So that that process of hiding and revealing is always interesting to me, that tension between the two. Um, there's so many, so many different questions I want to ask you, but <laughs> um, I know I have to prioritize so we can get to the actual reading part too. Um, can you speak a little bit about your chat books, uh, Surface Area and Manifest? What are they about and how do they speak to each other or deviate from each other? Yeah, um, so I'll start with Surface Area, which was um, my first one. It was published in November 2019 um, on a really cold, I remember it was, it was a cold and snowy day, the day of the launch, and I was like, oh no, no one's going to come. But so many people came. Hey. <laughs> um, even like the barista at the Starbucks that I go to, um, I was just like telling him about it and he came <laughs> to the launch. Um, which is so really amazing. Uh, I was like, yes, oh, this is so great. Um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so uh, the the chat book, uh, so it was published with by uh, Anstruther Press, which I, I realized later only publishes people's, like, only publishes with people once. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so like they do, so if, so they would, like, they like to be people's, like, debut, because it's like, this is your first, you're great, go, go forth and do other things. Um, so they were my my first chapbook uh, press. I'm working with them was really great. Um, but surface area, um, it's sort of like a collection that's very, uh, I want to say dreamy, but I also want to say romantic because a lot of my poetry is very romantic. I'm um, not necessarily like you know romantic like love, but like kind of like a capital R romantic. Um, it's mm -hmm. very, um, very sweet and very. Um, uh, sorry, sweet's not the right word. Very sentimental, um, I would say. And Surface Area is kind of like a collection of those kinds of works and those kinds of themes and spaces. I I, I wrote in in that chapbook a lot about um, like romantic love and friendship um, and conflict and desire, um, which are also two themes that I really like to explore because I think it's fun sometimes when people don't get what they want and have feelings about that. Um, so surface area, a lot the the poems in there, I think there are about 13, 12 or 13 poems in, in the chapbook. Um, I think that they focus a lot on that. And I I really enjoyed writing those poems um because it was what it was a time, it represented a time in my life when I was start, was starting to get a bit more confident um in my ability as a poet i wrote those poems between 2017 and 2019 um and i remember only trying to publish in like small you know student journals or like smaller journals online and thinking that like oh like i'm not ready to sort of submit to sort of the bigger canadian journals or presses i'm not ready to do all these things um because I, I didn't really feel like i was in that i think i didn't feel like i was you know from a craft perspective, um, like ready to, to be there. Um, but when I actually, I just submitted um, surface area to the editor, uh, Jim Johnstone and Daniel Scott Tisdall, um, just like on a whim, just like, hey, if you like it, cool. If you don't, that's totally fine. So I was really surprised and excited when they accepted. Um, and I got to work with who I felt were like really um, interesting and smart people. Uh, and it was just, and like publishing Surface Era was really just uh, like a confirmation that, you know, this like poetry space was a space that I could be in. It was a space that I deserved to be in. And it was a space that I could work with it, work within and not, you know, and not be overwhelmed, essentially. It, it was really a big confidence boost to me in my writing. 
Um, and I really love it for that reason. And uh, Manifest um, was published not even a year after the first chapbook. Um, it was published in July 2020. 2020. Um, and that was sort of, those poems sort of came about after, like what, as we talked about earlier, like when I realized, oh, you know, I should probably be writing and reading speculative poetry as I am a speculative poetry editor. So it's kind of like, it behooves me to do that. It's my responsibility as an editor to be aware of sort of what's going on in that space. So I got involved. I read a lot of stuff um, and I wrote a lot of stuff. And those poems are sort of in manifest or sort of the the product of that kind of active research um, and community exploring um, and things like that. So manifest has there's like apocalypse poems and there's um like fantasy poems there's a poem about a mermaid there's a poem about a weird spider woman there's a poem about ai uh there's a poem about um myth and like um aliens and like there's all sorts of sort of weird stuff um in there and i i like that one um because it really uh showcases my my range like i think that that chapbook has been like my more successful chapbook I would say it was shortlisted for the BP Nickel Chapbook Award, and I got like third place in the, Re- the Elgin Awards. So I was like, I clearly have things that I'm doing, and it's 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 working. So I'm I'm quite proud of that. Um, and you know, because you you edited that chapbook, so thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, it was such an honor <laughs> to do that. Oh my god, yeah, and like. It's funny because like when you're describing all those different themes, I'm like, wow, those are really divergent from each other. But I remember thinking even as I was editing it, it's like this is really, really cohesive. Like I feel like um, even though they're all in different forms and stuff like your style, all of the poems spoke to each other in a certain way and like it all just came together really well. Yeah, I was really... um... I was really proud of that of that chapbook, and I have not published a chapbook since. So, <laughs> well, uh, I, need to, I need to get on that. But um, yeah, I, we need a full I, length from you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, well, well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I've written my I've written my manuscript um, already, but I'm sitting on it right now. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Um, do you want to move into the reading portion now? Sure. Yeah. I'm just like, which one do I, I you know? Yes. I know which one I'm going to read. Um, Cause I'm my, it's the one I'm most proud of in the three. Oh, okay. Nice. Whenever, whenever you're ready. I want to, I wanted to read um, appeal to the doppelganger. Um, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, the ones I have listed are appeal to the doppelganger, uh, the weavers and la diablesse. Yes. Okay, perfect. Yep, you can um, go ahead when you're ready. A little bit of a preamble. This is a contrapuntal. This is not the only, this is the first contrapuntal that I wrote. Um, I wrote it in three hours, um, but when it was published, it was sort of published as like one, sort of like in one column almost. But when I read it, I like to read it sort of like the way it was supposed to be read, if that makes sense. So it's going to be a mm-hmm. little bit longer, but I hope that it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. My first question will be related to that anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Great. All right. Um, Can I just start at any time? Yep, go for it. Appeal to the doppelganger, a contrapuntal. So married, even my skin, even my fingers rush to study my own face, our face foil and forgetting whatever magic brought you here at my feet. A sinking house, mud soaked in the moon. You're a moment slower, the right hand in a window, swiping permission from my voice. Who is whom, when I cannot tell the difference in hands that look like mine, with teeth along the same lover's jaw, the world of us fading. By skin, every dry groove you carve across the single self, splitting into my labor, lost to your flotsam shadow, double the weight of my jagged outline, waiting for a flit of veil through the trees, the left hand covered in blood once, then from my family, 
a timely guess as to who is to blame between the tooled or weaponed knife, a mouth that lies and explores enough force to render memory into ash, into film. So married by skin, even my fingers rush to study every dry groove you carve across my own face, our face, the single self, splitting into foil and forgetting my labor, lost to whatever magic brought you here, your flotsam shadow at my feet, double the weight of a sinking house, mud-soaked in my jagged outline, waiting for the moon. You're a moment slower, a flit of veil through the trees, the right hand in a window, the left hand covered in blood once, swiping permission from my voice, then from my family. A timely guess as to who is whom, who is to blame, when I cannot tell the difference between the tooled or weaponed knife in hands that look like mine. A mouth that lies and explores with teeth along the same lover's jaw. Enough force to render memory into ash, the world of us fading into film. Thank you so much. I was really curious as to how you were going to read that. <laughs> All of these poems, really, because they work so well visually um, on the page. So it's like it's really interesting to hear you translate that into the audio form. Um, I love the concept, uh, the use of contrapuntal to explore this concept of the doppelganger. Um, and like I said, I was curious how you're going to read it. Um, especially since it's a poetic form that invites a lot of rereading to see how the lines and sides play off of each other. Um, can you explain to the listeners what a contrapuntal is and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, so the word contrapuntal means you hear it in music too. It's it's counterpoint. Um, so you have like one, one sort of uh, theme going and you have a second one at the same time. Um, and the contrapuntals are usually done in two columns, as I have and as I have read, but you can do them in, in more. I can, I've seen contrapuntals done in with three columns. So I have, uh, for those who um, who are listening and not seeing the poem as I have in front of me, um, I have one, I have a poem that's in uh, one column on like the left side of the page, um, if you're reading um, left to right. And I have another poem that's on the right side of the page, like a column going down. So I've read, I read the left side and then the right side um, vertically. And then I read the poem horizontally, sort of combining the two um, sides. And that's sort of how contrapuntal poems are to be read um, and how they're written. So when you're, so it's a little bit difficult when you're writing a contrapuntal poem, you have to see, okay, how, do, how can how can this, you know, one column make sense as a poem reading top to bottom, but how can they also make sense like reading um, left to right horizontally? Um, most of my poems, when I do first drafts, will take me about 20 to 30 minutes, just for a rough draft. I go back and I edit later, but this took me about three hours um, to write. And I, I wrote it because I wanted to do it. I wanted just a challenge for myself. I'm really interested in form. There's so many other forms of poems that I want to write um, that are really cool. I have not yet mastered the Sistina. I am getting there, but not yet. And Contrapuntal seemed something that was very, um, very doable. Um, not by, by any means, not the most, you know, not the simplest of formal poems to write, but I thought it was just enough constriction and just enough innovation to, for me to get that, um, that like dopamine, you know, that joy <laughs> in finishing something. I wrote it, um, while I was having a conversation with a friend. So we were talking about something completely different, like through Facebook Messenger, and I was writing by hand this poem. And I remember like scratching things out on the page and like turning the page on the side to like see how I could visualize this poem. Um, but then it it came out and it was great. Um, this poem was published in Fantasy Magazine. Um, so when it was published, the for the way that the formatting was like on the website, it didn't really allow for this dual column thing, which is like the point of a contrapuntal. So I had to remove like contrapuntal from the title because it was technically not a contrapuntal. But whenever I read it, um, I read it as a contrapuntal because that's sort of what it is. And if I were to republish this poem somewhere else, I would want to make sure that that form really um, was front and center because I, I think it's kind of interesting to have a contrapuntal counterpoint, but then also have it be having the poem itself be talking about a doppelganger, like an evil twin, essentially. I feel like that really, and I also wrote, wrote this for Halloween as well. 
I wrote that's when I wrote this poem. So I felt um, that the form and the content of the poem really, really match. And if it's not really in, if it's not really presented visually as a contrapuntal, that sort of takes away some of the, um, some of the appeal or the point of the poem. Um, this is not to like harp on fantasy magazine. I love fantasy magazine. It's great. But, you know, next time this poem is out there, maybe if I write another contrapuntal, um, people will get to see like the counterpoints, the dual columns. Yeah. Cause I was like, that's, a stroke of genius right there like <laughs> the doppelganger subject matter with the contrapuntal form it's like yes it's really like an interesting play on duality and I know from my own experience too like it's really hard when you're experimenting with form and something is being published digitally <laughs> yeah um just on a website it's just like yeah there's no way we can really have this translate the way you want it to it's like oh shoot <laughs> so word of warning to other poets out there <laughs> consider that it might not be how it is on the page once it's up on the website <laughs> which is interesting right because then it shows you how differently your poem can transform just from those line breaks being different and whatnot and yeah but I read this as like I really want to try a contrapuntal because I haven't yet I have it's... written written Sestinas though so that's funny oh you're you're ahead of me um, oh they're hard <laughs> they're so hard yeah but your point to um sort of like digital um the digital sort of translation of the work um, for form. There's something that we tell our poets at Augur. We're like, hey, you're submitting this on eight and a half by eleven, but our page is not, our journal page is not eight and a half by eleven. <laughs> so like how can we, how can I as an editor like work with you to make sure that like your poem still looks the way you want it to look? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh I I think that it's probably a bit easier with the journal page too. It can be a bit more forgiving than having to like navigate web code and <laughs> Oh yeah. What's it's up on the actual website? Um, yeah, I've already mentioned the duality and balance of imagery um, in that poem. Um, I found that like one was kind of dreamlike and soft, and the other kind of like harder, anxiety-inducing. Um, the tool as the knife as a tool or a weapon, like it really drives that home. Um, yeah, I guess you've already spoken a bit about the process, but what about those? dualities and how that came together for you um that's a great question I well as I mentioned I wrote this poem on Halloween I wanted to write a Halloween sort of spooky poem so I sort of made like a Twitter poll um online I was like what should I write about next and I had like werewolf and I had like ghost and I had doppelganger and everyone so this is also like a creative exercise um mm -hmm. I did not choose this topic so I got the I had the doppelganger like thing I was like I have to write about a doppelganger I was like what can I what kind of poem can I write and I was like oh, I'll write a contrapuntal I've never written a contrapuntal before this will be great and about halfway through the process I was regretting it and I was like this is, <laughs> this is a terrible idea I hate it and then I started and I did like then I started to do the very academic thing of like trying to like force connections or find connections like oh yes you know it's you know this doppelganger it's it's the twin it's the mirror you know it's the it's the inner self you've got the contrapuntal you know it's kind of like on the page it's kind of um it's gonna split but it's also one poem but it's but it's two poems but it's one poem and I sort of like, I, and then I got back into it. I was like, I, the regret went away. And I was like, this is great. This is a perfect form um, for this poem. Um, I think that uh, this poem is a bit more reflective um, in, like, even like the speaker of the poem is a bit more reflective, sort of navigating like the ways in which this relationship um, with this other self um, is beautiful, but also harm harmful. Mm -hmm. um and I think that's also part of of the sort of duality um let me just open the poem here yeah there's a lot of very and I, I, this is sort of like my style I tend to be a little bit more as I mentioned romantic in my language everything has to have like a soft film even if I'm writing about something that is um dangerous or harmful it never seems that way and I don't know why I write like this but <laughs> I do mm -hmm. um and even like the line about like with teeth along the same lover's jaw. And I'm like, what, what is, why did I write this? Um, but I just had to like, this is just something that I do. Um, and I really liked how it came out in this poem because it makes the poem sort of sad a little bit. Um, and like the terror there is, is, a, is a bit more muted 
Um, it's a bit more um, like regret. And I kind of like that. Yeah. I don't know if this answers your question also, but. No, totally. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like, I think that that's, I think that that's part of what the doppelganger represents in Freudian ideas too, like the repressed self and what Jung does with like the shadow self and just like that kind of made manifest in another being. I think that's, if I'm recalling my intro to your criticism course correctly. Um, so yeah, that, that sadness and longing, like that totally vibed for me. Like I was like, this makes a lot of sense. I have read nothing about Freud. So this is very, it's very helpful. <laughs> Thank you very much for adding this meaning. I love this. I like when people can add meaning to my work. This is yeah. cool. I, so I love to say it's correct. It's correct. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you want to move on to the weavers? Oh, yes. Should I read this or should I should I read this? Yes. Yes? Yeah. No? Yeah, totally. Oh, okay. I thought I was just going to read one. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. No, yeah, it was supposed to be all three, but I mean, that's up to you and your, your time. Oh, no, I'll, I can read all three. I just wasn't sure. Anyway, I'll, I'll read it. This poem? Oh, how do I read this poem? Hmm. Okay, I think I'll just read it the way I wrote it. Okay. Cool. Oh, man. Hi, why did I do this to myself? Okay. <laughs> so to provide context um, to this poem, which, you know, your listeners are not, again, are not seeing, um, The Weavers is kind of like, I wanted to write, it was also another experiment similar to the, the, to the doppelganger poem. And I was like, what if I wanted to make, you know, to, to do a little bit more world building um, and a little bit more myth play. Um, so this poem is written in the form of, I guess, of a script. I don't know anything about script writing. I just assume this is what script writing could maybe bend toward. I don't know. Um, so you've got you've got characters um, in this poem. We have um, Anansi. Um, the spider god, the Akan West African spider god, who is a trickster figure. Um, we have Athena, who is a Greek goddess, the goddess of war, um, who is wise. And we have Arachne, um, a survivor. And if you know of the story of Athena and Arachne, um, they have this sort of weaving contest, as we know, because Arachne said she was better than Athena. And Athena was like, bet. Um, and then, you know, Athena grew jealous at the end of this contest and turned Arachne into spider. Uh, that's sort of like how that myth goes. Um, but I decided to introduce um, a Nancy who is a, like a spider god already. So I was like, so I thought about, okay, so how can we sort of combine these and what might happen, you know, if they all kind of got together, um, but also what might happen in terms, how might they relate to each other? Um, so that's kind of what this is happening in this poem. I haven't read this poem in a very long time, so this is going to be new to me as well, um, the, the words on the page that I wrote. So I've talked too much. I'm just going to get right into the poem. <laughs> no, I love uh, your explanation. It's perfect. <laughs> okay, great, great. It's useful. Thank you. Okay, the weavers. Anansi, the spider god, trickster. Athena, the war goddess, wise. Arachne, a survivor. Warm climbs, double spun. The gods meet to trade. Silken legends stretched and broken in the wind. The spider god's newest bride on his palm to plead her humanity to the goddess of war. Anansi. An accident, surely, Athena, a consequence of hubris. Anansi, overzealous jealousy. Athena, a lesson gleaned eightfold. Scuttling along his skin, Arachne. She sings her fear, hope frailer than an abandoned nest. 
when he proposes an NC, an art installation, should her eminence care for a kinder legacy, a spider silk simulacrum, arachne, a penance, fealty, a disappearing act, Athena, a brief battle, oh, she lords over wisdom also, but an extended hand, blood red nails, a wall, a blankness started, and his love despairing at the toil, but he has already sent for his brethren, his children, and they appear from the earth, the sky, the trees, the moon itself covered in black spindles. Up the wall, pitching white over and across, quick and yonder eking out the goddess's stringing visage, plumed hel helmet, all the patronal glory. Completion begets Athena. Joy then spite. Was this girl not soul in her labor? Anansi, not specified. What hubris now? Watch how the likeness billows in the open temple air. Arachne, watch the promise. Push and pull. And at last, a concession. Athena, the rough wave of the universe. And eight legs become two. The privilege of Arachne, voice, beauty, and convention. And she runs to his arms. Entreaties understood. And the goddess rises to her nation and the spider god, Anansi, fashions the lightest vessel, pushing them out to sea, expecting another war on the wind. The glint of steel in the stars, the many eyes. Thank you so much. This is, like, I love this weaving together of multiplicities um, from the structure, your use of the voices and the form, the parathetical statements that the listeners can't see but are there. <laughs> that That's what's weaving between the pieces of speech. Um, also, your use of um, the Akan god Anansi and the Greek goddesses Athena and Arachne. What inspired all of this weaving together of subject and form? I remember I had this idea when I was on the subway um, and we, there, the subway in Toronto is terrible. Um, <laughs> so there was a delay and I was sitting there and I was thinking about myths um, because I was, we were, I was thinking about, you know, the kinds of things I wanted to see, you know, in Augur, the kind of stories and the poems I wanted to see. So I thought about myths and I had for a long time wanted to write an Anansi poem, but I never felt like, I, I, what could I say about about this 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 character i had nothing to say um but then because greek mythology is so um westernized now um a lot of greek and roman myths are sort of very common um or like not common but like well known so i was like well what can i do here maybe if there's something interesting i wanted to do so i know that um i found the story of uh, athena and arachne very interesting um that I find that it's something that really showcases like how jealous and how like erratic like Greek gods are portrayed as. Um, I thought that was quite fun and quite, you know, human. And I was like, how can I combine this with the Nazi somehow? And then the common theme here is spiders. Um, spiders as um, uh, sort of like the transformation into a spider as being like a punishment almost. Um, but also spiders as, you know, creatures that are sort of everywhere and they're kind of small and, you know, um, they kind of like just mind their own business <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> so like the the conceit of this poem is, you know, Arachne who has been transformed into a spider 
and is still a spider, um, sort of encountering a Nancy who wishes to, um, you know, make her a bride of some sorts, but she's still a spider. So he comes to Athena to be like, hey, can you turn her back into a person? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Athena's like, she... No, this is her punishment. Um, so they kind of have like a like a back and forth. Um, and Nancy's like, well, what if you know we had her weave you know something in your in your likeness? What if what would, would that you know would that suffice? And Athena's like, sure, that's that's cool. Um, and then uh, you know, assuming that Arachne would do all this by herself, and this is an impossible task, but that Nancy brings all his spider friends to come help her weave this sort of uh, effigy of Athena. Um, and Athena did not specify that Arachne was to do this on her own. That was just, just, just not specified, which is a very trickster thing to let to allow. Mm-hmm. And Nancy's like, you didn't say she had to do this by herself. <laughs> yeah. So technically, uh, you have to honor this promise. And Athena's like, fine. So she turns Arachne back into a person. And then Arachne and Nancy can just sort of be together. Um, one of his one of his many brides. Um so that's kind of the poem. I thought that was, you know, a little interesting. Um, this is also similar to the contrafrontal doppelganger poem. This is also very much an experiment. I had no idea what this was going to turn out, how this was going to turn out when I wrote this. Um, I also didn't want this poem to be too long. Um, I know, like, I, I was thinking about, like, epic poems, but how there's just pages and pages and pages of, like, people speaking, and, and, and I didn't want to do any of that. So it's like, how can I make this um, shorter? but also still have characters, still have the kind of language that I wanted to use and still have something of a story. Um, And I had no idea how I would even accomplish this in a poem um, that wasn't like the standard, like epic, you know, ABAB kind of length um, and form. And then I just decided to throw form completely out the window. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to call it a poem. It's just going to be a poem. And like, what are people going to say? Nothing. So I, <laughs> so I'm looking at, I know or your listeners can't see this. Uh, I'm, it, it's weird. Trust me. Um, so I just have like, you know, speech and I have these little asides. Um, and even in the speech itself, I'm realizing it's, it's not necessarily only speech. It's also a little bit of narration as well. Um, or even just explaining what the characters are doing, um, which is a little bit different. But again, I, you know, this is just part of the experiment for me. Uh, I think this is something that I might do again. Uh, maybe uh, fine tune it a little bit more as I sort of see what I like and what could maybe be improved upon. But this is the only kind of poem I've ever wrote in this former style. Um, I've never written something like this ever again. <laughs> um, but I think I might. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it works really well. And it that explanation of like, almost like a mini epic. <laughs> I love it because it's almost like a side quest within an epic poem itself, right? So it's like the self-contained thing, but you can also see it being part of that bigger universe, even if you like don't have a ton of context for Akan mythology or Greek mythology. So yeah, I think that's a really cool idea. You could even... I'm I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you could even do like a series of those. That would be really cool. <laughs> and I would read those. <laughs> um, and I yeah, my next question was actually about uh a preoccupation with hubris and creation, but I think that's pretty well explained in in that use of mythology, like now that I have the full context for what you were thinking. Yeah, I like I really like gods as characters um i think what's the, i think there's like a was it was a god punk i think is like the genre um like <laughs> gods and just like what they do and how they get their power and how they become uh susceptible to all these other things as a result of this power that they have um i just think it's really fascinating i'm, I'm also i i'm also really into um like superheroes for this very reason the same reason just like mm-hmm. really pa- people with like enormous amounts of power and like how they navigate that and how they're still able to to sort of form the life that they want to live so i'm interested in gods i think they're cool i wanted to write a poem about gods um with who possess this kind of creative power but who are also not immune to very human emotions like 
jealousy and pride um, and and pettiness and sneakiness. So I thought that was fun. I love that element of mythology too, because it's like I think that every creative person can relate to those anxieties <laughs> at least in like those moments of just like even just being like, oh, I wish I'd written that or done that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like that was a great idea. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was me all the time. Just, yeah. There's just so many good writers out there. Yeah, I know something has deeply touched me if I wanted to, like, throw it across the room and be like, why did I write that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, so do you want to finish off with uh, La Diablesse? Yes. Um, so this poem um, is a... This poem is the, is the last poem in Manifest. It's, like, a long poem. Not super long. It's, like, a page and a little bit. I... I'm also proud of this poem a little bit because it's the longest, like, sort of straight um, text, I guess, many-worded poem that I've written. Um, And I'm never, like, I don't, I can't write long poems um, because my brain just stops when I hit the end, the last page at the end of Microsoft. I can't go any further. Um, I'm the same way. (laughs) I really struggle with it. I managed to squeeze this poem onto one page, um, but yeah, I really like this poem for that reason. Um, and this poem is it also deals with mythology, um, but I will explain the myth um, after I read the poem. So this poem is called uh, La Jablesse, um, and uh, Jablesse is like a it means devil woman. Like so, like Diablo is is male and Jablesse is is female. She never walks fully on the road. She wears a dress, a shade of blue that doesn't exist. A color my mother saw when she nearly died, projecting me into this world. And the sky and water turned this godly shade. As a seamstress, an artist, she was never satisfied again. This woman here is best friends with the dark and flora. We don't talk about where she comes from. We wait for a man to drive by this lonely road at night, spot her, stop her. She wears a hat like a tourist, which she is. One leg in this land, one leg outside a slit, both hands grasping. Every man, I suppose, must compare to the original the decadent deal-maker. I never wondered how close she was with him, how deep she dipped her black toe in the role of Faust. I imagine she is fine with the skin on her face, its leather and fur. The hat has a purpose, see. No man would go willingly. At the sound of his chirps, she casts a spell, and here's where I get jealous. When I was younger, a man followed me home and cornered me behind my father's garage, told me to lift my dress, remove my panties. Within spitting distance of hammers, drills, and acid, I did not comply. And then I do not remember. But perhaps I saw that same blue, the same blue this woman swishes, this woman animals and goddesses around night after night. The spell is in the disappearing, in the wild way he wails through the trees. When I first heard of her, I thought she'd have sex with them before their demise. Later, I realized it was never about sex. It was about power. I want to see her whole face, her victory pose, heifer on high, silhouetted by the moon as the man crashes to his grave. But there are different kinds of power, too. When I walk alone, I walk half on grass, half on the street. No one stops me these days. I wear pants. I bottle the lore my mind allows me to think about on days I want to be controlled by a demon. Dream about blue when I want to die. Thank you. God, that's so powerful. Um, 
I think, uh, yeah, I guess that you wanted to kind of like give a bit of background about that oh. figure. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because yes, it relates to my question anyway. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, La Jablas is a figure in um, Caribbean folklore, specifically like Grenada and Trinidad, but also all parts of the Caribbean. So she's a woman who sort of made like this deal with sort of like the devil um and she she goes around at night um uh and she wears this this i've i read i remember reading this story as a child um by ricardo keens douglas it's called light of less and the baby so she read she wears like a blue dress um and a big hat um and she walks on the road she walks uh, she has like one human one human leg and one cow leg so she walks like half on the road, half on the grass, and then she's very beautiful, you know, from behind. And you know, men, you know, driving by or like truly see her, and they're like, "Wow, she's so beautiful!" And they try to they try to talk to her, um, and then she she gets them, um, and uh, she scares them, and they uh, they they sort of like they go, um, they sort of lose their mind, and then they go crashing through the trees, and they run around until they scream and die, um, and that's sort of like the legend. Um, so you're sort of told, like, if you see someone, you know, kind of looks like that on the road, you know, avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> Run away. Uh, don't go there. Um, <laughs> no matter how, you know, how pretty she looks um, or she, how she appears. And she wears a hat because her face is, is very sort of like, you know, ugly. Um, so she wears this huge hat to sort of hide her face. And so from behind, if you can't see her face, she looks really pretty. Um, so, yeah. So I thought about, you know this figure who I thought was so interesting. Like a lot of women, like in, in it's a, a lot of women in myth, especially like dangerous women in myth. I think of Medusa as well, um, who are sort of like pre- presented as like dangerous or, um, you know, dangerous as in like, har- like harmful. I think about like sort of how they got to be that way. And, you know, were they really victims or, you know, what the, the, that sort, those sorts of questions. Um, and I wanted to write about that uh, in, in a poem. Uh, so I thought about multiple sort of aspects of this myth. Um, I thought about my own um, mother. I thought about, like, the women in my life who have, you know, been harmed, um, and what that sort of represents and how they sort of make make um, sense of all of that. Um, there's this aspect of um, like luring and attracting and how something that's very tempting can can maybe be dangerous, um, even though there's a sort of a, a power there. So I wanted to combine all of that in this poem um, and put it in a chapbook. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting, like, thinking about these women of these um, different folklores and myths, and, like, it it continues, like, just right from ancient societies to contemporary societies, and there's always this, like, the woman is dangerous if she's beautiful, the woman is dangerous if she's ugly, it's just, like, the woman is dangerous, yeah, <laughs> no matter what, and that's an interesting tension, I think, in depicting kind of, like, monstrous women, because it's, it's what are the other or it's both and it seems like it's both <laughs> based on this mythology um and i think that you really convey that kind of beautiful monstrosity and like the violence that's equal parts almost like revenge and predation at the mm-hmm. same time uh what one of the things that interested me the most though is that unknowable shade of blue and how like the the reader almost gets stalked by this shade of blue and like could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it was it was a part of the poem of the poem that I wasn't sure I should include. Like in the book that I like the children's book that I mentioned, uh, Latch of Lesson, the baby, she's wearing a blue dress. Um, and I thought that was interesting, but the a noble shade of blue comes from like my own my own birth. Um, like when my mother was giving birth to me. Um, she kind of had like an interesting like near death experience um and she remembers she as she tells this story she told the story multiple times but as she tells the story um she remembers seeing like the shade of blue um everywhere like in the sky and the water and she's a she is a seamstress and so she has been looking for the shade of blue 
like in fabrics and in threads like for like 30 years and she has not found the shade of blue um so I wanted to and this this the blue is also the shade on like the dress of the Letra Bless character so I wanted to include that additional element of um a fantasy and of myth um and of something that's not necessarily real but it did like something that did happen to you um or something that you did ex- or like you as like readers or or as anyone else um something that did happen something that was special mm-hmm. um so to, to sort of frame the poem in like um an air of uh of, you know you're stepping into the unreal um kind of and you might have to suspend some things um, but it's also a poem, so that's kind of the space anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, yeah, that's something that I think brings together the real and the speculative is just, like, that things can be unknowable and that you can search for something unknowable. And, yeah, in the speculative genres, I think you get to kind of play with that a little bit, what gets known and what what stays unknown. So thank you. That's so interesting. Um, we're just at the end of our time here. Um, was there anything that you wanted to let the listeners know about, where to find you on social media, anything like that? Yeah, um, I I have a website. <laughs> um, it's it's just my name, my full name, Therese Mason Pierre, uh, dot com, and I'm also on Twitter um, as Therese, and then the letter M, and then Pierre. Um, but I'm kind of around. I also work um, with Augur Magazine. I'm one of their editors-in-chief, uh, and I do poetry. Um, and as of today, uh, can I say the date? Is it okay if I say the date? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> as of today, uh, January 15th, um, we're also accepting applications for poetry editors. So if you would like to edit poetry and work with Augur, and you live in the space known as Canada, um, please apply. Uh, we'd love to, um, to 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 meet you and to work with you. And the 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 application form is just on our website, augur a u g u r mag m a g dot com. Amazing. And does that, how long is that open for? Oh, that's open until January twenty second. So just exactly a week from now. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm getting out and getting the information. And we might extend the deadline. We're we'll see. But okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like. That means I get this episode up this week. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, that's cool. I want, I want to be able to advertise this. So, yeah, that's that's on, on my timeline anyway. It's just funny. Um, great. Okay. So, thanks so much for coming on, and we'll see everybody next time.